0: We've been thinking a lot about prayer since Christmas here at St. Luke's, haven't we? Not that we didn't think about it previously, of course, but before we dived back into Isaiah last week, we just finished a sermon series on the Lord's Prayer. And we're also doing Pete Gregg's great prayer course in our home groups. And so we've been reminded of the awesome privilege we have of being in a loving relationship with our Father in heaven. It's a parent child relationship in which we can share our innermost concerns and our needs and our desires knowing that he will hear us and listen to our prayers and respond in our best interests. We really do have a God who is the best of all possible fathers. The problem however is that we are not the best behaved of children. So we shouldn't be surprised, should we, if God gives us a good telling off every now and again. If he remonstrates with us, complains about us, reprimands us. Proverbs 3 verse 12 says, The Lord disciplines those he loves just as a father disciplines the child in whom he delights. So we shouldn't be surprised. But even so, I admit that it did come as a bit of a shock to hear in our passage today what God says about his people, his children. So chapter 30, we didn't hear this, but chapter 30 begins, Woe to the obstinate children, declares the Lord. And then in the section that Jock did read to us, after that opening salvo, God instructs Isaiah to write out his complaints for the record, as it were both on a tablet a tablet of stone presumably that could be displayed permanently in a prominent position in the city and on a scroll which could be taken around and and read out in public places wherever people gathered so an ancient form if you like of public service broadcasting and what are god's complaints well verse 9 and verse 9 and verse 10 and 11 God says, these are rebellious people. Deceitful children. Children unwilling to listen to the Lord's instruction. They say to the seers, see no more visions. And to the prophets, give us no more visions of what is right. Tell us pleasant things. Prophesy illusions. Leave this way. Get off this path and stop confronting us with the Holy One of Israel. I guess the people felt that they had more pressing things to think about than the Holy One of Israel. Specifically, of course, the Assyrians. Lord Byron wrote... Uh, based on little more I suspect than poetic license the Assyrians came down like the wolf on the fold and his cohorts were gleaming in purple and gold and the sheen of their spears was like stars on the sea and rumpety rumpety and so it goes on the massive Assyrian army had already conquered the northern kingdom of Israel a few years earlier and now their sights were set on the southern kingdom of Judah and its capital, Jerusalem. Rob, last week, told us rather less poetically than Lord Byron that the tanks were already parked on the lawn. And understandably, perhaps, God's people are terrified. So much so that they've already desperately sent ambassadors to bribe the old enemy Egypt into supporting and protecting them. But you know, Isaiah tells us that God has already suggested the way for his disobedient children to get out of their terrifying situation verse 15 the sovereign Lord the Holy One of Israel says in repentance and rest is your salvation in quietness and strength is your trust it's a great bit of advice but the people we're told would have none of it they're afraid vulnerable insecure, uncertain of the future both of of the nation and of themselves and their families and they were impatient to do something they didn't want to sit quietly and just wait as God had suggested they didn't actually trust God so in effect they rebelled they rebelled against him by seeking protection and deliverance elsewhere now all this political and social upheaval of course took place 2,700 years ago, but don't you think it has a very contemporary feel about it? Our 21st-century political and cultural backstories are very different, of course, from those of the ancient Near East. But many people in our post-Brexit, coronavirus-ridden world feel afraid, vulnerable, insecure, uncertain of the future, both of their nation and of themselves and their families just as much as the people of Judah did in those far off days and God's message to our generation is the same in repentance and rest is your salvation in quietness and trust is your strength but how many people do we know our family friends neighbors work colleagues how many people do we know of our business leaders, our politicians, our celebrities, our our social media, what are they called? Influencers? How many people do we know who, like the Jews of old, will have none of it? Who rebel against God's way of doing things? Preferring instead to do their own thing. Tread their own path. Unaware that they are, in Shakespeare's words, on the primrose path to the everlasting bonfire so the bad news in our passage today is that for centuries for millennia the father has looked at humankind and seen rebellious people deceitful children children unwilling to listen to the Lord's instruction that's the bad news what's the good news? what's the gospel message in today's passage? I've put the words up on the screen here now. This is it, verse 18. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious. Therefore He will rise up to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for Him. We have a God who longs to be gracious to us and to lavish His blessings on His children. Which is good news indeed. And I'm hesitant to, to sort of kind of spoil this feel-good factor by talking about some translation issues, but please bear with me. The first words that you've seen on the screen is the version that you heard read to us, which is from the NIV. But now, can I also draw your attention in the next slide to the Old King James Version rendering of verse 18. Therefore will the Lord wait, that he may be gracious unto you. And therefore will he be exalted that he may have mercy on you. For the Lord is a God of judgment. Blessed are all they that wait for him. So two things. We'll leave the the words up there for a moment. But two things. First, the NIV wording, yet the Lord longs, suggests that God wants to be gracious to us despite the fact that we're disobedient, rebellious children, which is in itself pretty wonderful. But the King James Version, notice, says therefore will the Lord wait, which implies that that God wants to be gracious to us specifically because we are disobedient, rebellious children. And that, to coin a phrase, is amazing grace without which, of course, we're doomed. The second thing is that where the NIV says the Lord longs to be gracious, the King James Version has Therefore will the Lord wait that he may be gracious unto you. And the implication here I think is that God is waiting for the right time to be gracious and to lavish his blessings on all who wait for him. Doesn't this remind you of the the loving father in Jesus' parable of the prodigal son? He watched and waited for the return of his son and when he eventually saw him still a long way off he was filled not with righteous anger at the way he'd been mistreated but with compassion with mercy get rid of the words now if you like thank you we must be careful though that we don't take God's grace for granted that we don't presume, as Paul says in, in Romans, we don't presume upon the riches of God's kindness and forbearance and patience. Do you not know, says Paul, that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? In other words, it would be wrong to picture God just kind of waiting around passively for us to come to our senses and admit that we've been naughty children Rather, Isaiah presents God as actively leading us to repentance. Or, as verse 20 says, He's our teacher. Actually, the NIV talks about teacher as plural, but many commentators suggest that the Hebrew word here should be interpreted teacher singular. Teacher with a capital T. The supreme teacher. God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit. All three all one so hold that thought as we look at verse 20 although the lord gives us the bread of adversity and the water of affliction in other words although god disciplines us for our disobedience our teacher will be hidden no more with our own eyes we will see him And as as Christians, of course, we see this revelation of God in Christ's incarnation. His life and ministry here on earth to teach us the path of righteousness. So, verse 21, whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. And there's something, I think, touchingly Intimate in the relationship that God wants to have with us, this still small voice coaxing, cajoling, encouraging us to make the very response that God is waiting, is longing for us to make, the response that will turn our present suffering into future eternal glory. How do we know for sure all this will come to pass? How do we know that we can trust God? That He really will do what He's promised? Well, because, verse 18 again, the Lord is a God of justice. Or in the King James Version, a God of judgment. Now, I don't know about you, but my first thought here is that there's a bit of a disconnect. How do justice and judgment fit with grace? And mercy. I mean, I'm all for God's grace and mercy. Heaven knows we need it. But the idea of His judgment is kind of scary. And it's an idea, I think, that's reinforced by phrases in the final couple of sections of chapter 30, like verse 25, for example, the day of great slaughter. Verse 28, nations being shaken in the sieve of destruction. There's some heavy fire and brimstone judgment day stuff in those verses. But of course as Christians we shouldn't be scared because God's justice is quite literally our saving grace. Scripture assures us that if we confess our sins God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. And He can forgive us our sins because Jesus took the full force of God's judgment in our place on the cross. And God, being a God of justice, will not demand a second payment for sins already paid for. Jesus has completely satisfied all the demands of God's justice and so God longs to pour out His grace and mercy on those who will trust in Jesus' sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. Blessed are all who wait for Him grace for our inadequacies and mercy for our failures and so back now finally to God's wonderfully challenging promise explicitly voiced in verse 15 this is what the sovereign Lord the Holy One of Israel says in repentance and rest is your salvation in quietness and strength sorry quietness and trust is your strength. It's a promise that was rejected by the people of God in Isaiah's day. They would have none of it. But it's a promise that God, our Father in heaven, still extends to His children in our day. Let's pray that we both as individuals and as the cornerstone team of churches will accept this promise with joy. Blessed are all they that wait for Him. Amen.